Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the first three episodes of the Disney Plus series Willow, plus the original 1988 film of the same name. My name is Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, in the previously on, we will be discussing the, the trailer for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. <laughs> Folks, I've, I'm sure Rosie and I will have a lot of thoughts about this trailer. Then uh, we will be discussing the latest trailer for the HBO Max series, The Last of Us. And in, in the airlock, we'll be discussing uh, the Disney Plus series Willow, which, of course, is a uh, sequel to the uh, 1988 George Lucas production of Willow, uh, a, a movie that ha- holds a special place in the heart of my co-host. She's the number one comics historian, the number one Willow lover, the number <laughs> one Eternals lover. That's right, folks. It's the great, the powerful Rosie March. Rosie, how hey, are you? Hey, I feel, I feel so happy to be somebody who just loves so many things. <laughs> it's true. I am the number. I love Willow so much. I'm really excited to talk about that show. We're actually talking about lots of things that I love this week, as we do every week, I guess. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I got to say, uh, I'm enjoying The Willow Show. I think the tone is really unique. Yeah. Um, it's not like uh, anything else. It's very unexpected at, like, dropping in December as well. Yeah. You're just like, oh, this is like, okay, this show exists, and it's totally different from anything else that's going on. Well, the sense you get quite strongly is that Disney is, like, we have very low expectations for what anybody's yeah. reaction to this. So, you know, it's Free all rain. gravy as far as they're concerned, I'm sure. I did have one thing I wanted to raise because it was a com- I had a conversation recently with some friends that were uh, that were in London and uh, we were talking about slang, English slang. <laughs> and I had to I had to because I am I have eternally be, been mystified by geezer, yes. which I think if you heard in American English, you'd hear geezer, that geezer, and you'd think that old, the old probably man. man. That's definitely how yeah. it is in uh, in in America. No, in England, the geezer's like a guy, and he's in the pub, and he's watching the football, and he's drinking a pint of beer, and he's just like a geezer. He's like out on the town, causing some problems. Like he's a geezer, but it is also just a gendered term for somebody who's a guy. It's kind of that weird space. Like, it has connotations around, like, football and, like, lad culture and drinking. But it is, you can also just be, like, a geezer. (laughs) Okay, so it's, like, any, like, adult-slash-middle-aged guy who acts like a lad 
I is would it say, geezer? No, no, no. So it's like, it's one of those really weird things that I find like you find this a lot in, in the English why. language in general, <laughs> but also like this is one of my favorite topics. I will literally explain any English, especially London specific slang. No, the thing that's really interesting is like somebody can be having a conversation and use the term geezer like you would use mate. Like you can be like at the pub and be like, you're right, geezer. Like it's just like a way that you're just speaking to someone. But it also means like, if you think about the word Giza, it definitely, I feel like one of the reasons this probably came up is to do with like the World Cup. I feel like it's like a football yes. culture word as well. So the idea of a Giza is somebody who like goes to the pub, drinks a pint, like might be getting a bit rowdy, like acting up. But it's definitely not, I would say like adult can be from, you can be a Giza and be like 18 to like 70, you know, or like, or however old. Like but I don't a, think it's, it's like of age specific. It's a term of endearment also, right? Like, it's not yeah, a negative. Yeah, yeah. It's you, been described to me as not a negative con- it can connotation. Be, if you're using it, I would say it's one of those interesting things where in the communities where you would use it, it's not negative. But outside of it, like if you were posh, you could look down on like a geezer, like somebody acting like a geezer or whatever. But like in the community, if you're in the pub, that's not that's not negative. That's just, what about geese? Like if I'm friends with someone and I refer to them as my geese, as a I don't know if you'd call. Yeah, yeah, no, you. It's you could. I would say the easiest universal word to in that sense would be like mate. So if you're like oi mate, oi geese, that's normal. Anyone can do that. You can do it almost like. And in that way, it's kind of one of those interesting ones like guy. Where in the UK, that can also almost when you use it in that phrase become genderless. You're just Mm. like hey geese, hey mate. So yeah, that's a that's a good one. Oh, Jason, bring more of these to me. I love to explain slang. <laughs> I miss it. So it's it's like bloke then. Bloke is a more interesting thing because I don't you wouldn't be like, hey, my bloke. You know, bloke is more like that is a bloke. That is like a descriptive word about a man. Somebody can behave in a blokey way though. So which oh. is like again, is that kind of macho specific vibe but also bloke is just literally a synonym for man so england's annoying like that like not just in slang but also in all english language words every word has like five meanings (laughs) well thank you for that uh that catch up rosie special thanks to everyone who came out to our la comic-con panel that was so great to meet you it was so great to talk to you it was so much fun to be there that is just an environment where Rosie and I feel very, very much at home. You'll be able to hear that episode in a couple of weeks where we'll cover uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, uh, plus the recent uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer, plus have a discussion with uh, some good friends about the state of the MCU. Up next, previously on. First and previously on, folks, he's back. I know Harrison Ford is 80. He's a He's crashed like seven planes over the last 10 years. But if you've been wondering, where is Harrison Ford on my big screen ever since his run in the final Star Wars trilogy? I need more Harrison Ford. When will he come back? When will he bring Indiana Jones back to the screen? The answer is June 30th, 2023, with the fifth installment of the Indiana Jones franchise, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, directed by James Mangold, who you might remember from Logan and the equally excellent 310 to Yuma. This movie is starring Harrison Ford, of course, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonia Banderas. Uh, and my immediate takeaway from this trailer is, one, it looks fun. 
Yes. Uh, and two, they just took Harrison Ford's head and digitally put it on like some guy's body. Yeah. For so, many of the, for if many, if not all of the scenes. So of this my, movie, my understanding is that what they, what, the thing that excited me the most about this trailer was I didn't know John Reese Davis was going to be in it. Love him. But they had John Reese Davis's voice, and he's one of my favorite Indiana Jones like ensemble characters. So I was, I was good. For, <laughs> I was happy about that. But my understanding is there is a large part of the movie, the opening. Don't quote me on that, but that's I believe what I've read. That is set earlier on where they decided to digitally de-age Harrison Ford, which, by the way, I just don't understand because casting a younger Indiana Jones led us to one of the best ever Indiana Jones casting of all times. River Phoenix as Indiana Jones. Yeah, that was wonderful. In the opening sequence is so good. And um, to me... I think this is a missed opportunity to just have like some cool younger guy playing Indiana Jones. Don't know why they love to de-age people, but I believe that the opening sequence will be younger Indiana Jones, like 10 years before the movie's meant to be set. And then we'll be in to uh, to, to old is, Indiana Jones. So basically it's here, Irish man, Indiana Jones. Here is the synopsis. In 1969, American archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones lives against the backdrop of the space race... Jones is uneasy over the fact that the U.S. government has recruited former Nazis to help beat the Soviet Union in the competition to make it to space, a.k.a. the real-life project. I was going to say, that is actually incredibly uh, true to one of the parts of American history that everybody ignores. That That is is the truth. The United States absolutely did. Good for Indiana Jones for standing up against that terrible (laughs) choice. Werner von Braun, the, the architect of the American uh, rocketry program, uh, was famously uh, one of the pioneers of the V-2 rocket system that uh, the Nazis used to bombard London and other targets in the British Isles during during that conflict known as World War II. Uh, so that is the premise. Indiana Jones in the, in the swing in 60s. I can't wait. I will say, again, it's the only thing that is... that throws me and it's specifically the horse scene I was talking about this Mm -hmm, with Super mm -hmm. Chris and Saul it's just like they just took his head and they put it on a different dude's body it looks a little it's unsettling it's unsettling and it he is it looks like in that scene which is some kind of parade scene about the space race I think He's being chased down by Boyd Holbrook, who's the Australian actor who plays the Reaver, who played the lead Reaver in Logan. So there's yeah. a nice little little Logan uh, casting Easter egg there. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of the de-aging. Will be interesting. I guess Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays his goddaughter. So there's not going to be like a, a Muck-esque they, secret I, child. Yeah, Fingers I crossed. They retconned, they, they retconned Shia LaBeouf out yes. of the, uh, out I think of the indie will universe. Have a, you know, he'll have a Simpsons-esque, oh, no, Mark had to go back to his own planet. And he's, he's up in the sky, you know. Um, yeah, Mads Mikkelsen playing a Nazi. I mean, I always want to see Indiana Jones beating up Nazis. It's what Who he does best. It's, it's what he's, he's the best at. And I think we need as many movies about people beating up Nazis as possible. I love Harrison Ford. I'm glad he's getting that money. I'm excited to see him being cranky on the inevitable cranky <laughs> press tour, as he deserves to be. Yeah, I mean, what are they dialing? I don't know. That's what I need to know. What's the dial of destiny? Who's getting dialed? My uh, Indiana Jones does, as you mentioned, he, he beats up Nazis. Sometimes He's he just shoots them straight in the head. Nazis. My, the, the, 
the other thing that he is best in the world at is stealing the precious cultural artifacts of some other people yep. <laughs> and taking it to some random museum in Illinois. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, or just like a really weird warehouse, like a giant warehouse. The, so, so something about Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, arguably, if he had not been in the movie, absolutely nothing different would have happened. That's the one time when his, his, his intrinsic uh, behavior of uh, stealing things for the government is not great. <laughs> Temple of Doom, he does... He saves, you know, he saves people. Good, he saves he, the village. You know what? The movie has a lot of problems, but gave us Kihai Kwan. And also, yeah. you know what? At least that time he's stealing for the right people. That's right. They probably didn't need him to steal it, but you know what? And then, and then the Last Crusade, I mean... It is potentially immortal after yeah. drinking from the cup of Which, Christ. Which, by and the also, way, let's lean into that here. Had a dalliance with a Nazi. So... Mm. Problematic figure, a problematic Problem- figure of our times. Figure. I'm excited for this movie. Uh, I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones, even though I do think that he is a thief. He is absolutely he, a great. He is a thief. thief. I I long. He's a criminal. I long for the time that we get the. You know, it doesn't have to be Indiana Jones, but I a long time people were were fan casting Oscar Isaac in an Indiana Jones style role, where he would essentially steal things back from the museums. And give them back to people and repatriate like stolen objects. I would love to see a pulpy Indiana Jones esque story like that on the big screen. We don't need to name it Indiana Jones, though. Sometimes that does make it easier to get that stuff made. But I think there's a space for that because you're right, he's a thief. Up next, The Last of Us, the latest Last of Us trailer. Would I? I would imagine this is probably the last official Last of Us trailer. The show will premiere January fifteenth of 2023 on HBO Max, uh, starring Pedro Pascal as Joel, Bella Ramsey as Ellie, Gabrielle Luna as Tommy, and a Torv as Tess. And, and of course, this is an adaptation of the, you know, the hit yeah, cultural phenomenon game, The Last of Us, the game of the, of, uh, the same name. Uh, very, and this looks great. This looks really good. This uh, I mean, captured the kind of vibe of the video games that kind of like very tense, uh, dark, I hate to say gritty, but also <laughs> uh, but also a kind of story with a real emotional core of yeah. the relationship between uh, an, an older guy, Joel, and a young woman, Ellie, who, you know, this develops into a father daughter relationship. Uh, I'm excited to see this. I'm a big fan of the video games, and yeah, uh, I'm looks, very excited to watch the show. Looks great. I think that one of the things that they really capture in this trailer is that the hard thing to recreate from the game is this mix of like this really intimate character-based story that feels very personal that you're going along as you play the game and the huge scope of the apocalypse that they're yeah. going through. And this trailer really got that for me. There's a couple of character beats. You get Ellie kind of having this inappropriate humor moment that feels really true to the game. And then you get the hints of the clickers. And and it looks, yeah, it looks great. I, I also kind of, I guess because so much happened this year, I missed how many unreal cast members this show has until recently yeah. when they started releasing. Like everyone is just like, a killer bit of casting with the unreal amount of star power. So I'm I'm very excited. And it had 
a very outrageous uh, slowed down version of Take On Me by Aha, which definitely works. Yeah, and they're not, you know, like a creepy version of a pop song always works. It's never not worked in a trailer. Also, as we go into this, again, the show will premiere uh, mid-January 2023. Uh, one of our plans for the future is to do a, a dive into the, the story of the video game. The story yeah, of definitely. The Last of Us, the video game, uh, as we're talking about the show. So that should be... Yeah, I'm we're excited really to excited to, to delve into that. Because it's something that we both really just love. And to be able to talk about that and the show is, is a really exciting possibility. Up next, Willow! Crooked and Duolingo's newest podcast, Radio Lingo, investigates all the ways that language shapes our world and how the world shapes our language. Each episode explore a different way language plays a role in our life from swearing to subtitles and everything in between. Listen to the first four episodes right now and subscribe to Radio Lingo wherever you get your podcast. New episodes drop every Tuesday. X-Ray Vision is brought to you by Z-Biotics. The holidays are a lot, a lot of food, a lot of drinks, and one too many awkward family moments. Z-Biotics gives me one less thing to worry about, how those holiday drinks will affect my mornings. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here is how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in your gut. It is this byproduct, not dehydration, as is commonly considered. That's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it most. Just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly, and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. Give Zbiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com/slash x-ray to get 15% off your first order when you use code X-ray at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. The holidays are upon us, and Zbiotics makes a great gift. It's unique, thoughtful, and it's under $40, folks. No reason to go heavy onto that, onto your pocketbook for this, okay? It's manageable. We'll all be having more drinks this holiday season, so order today to get Zbiotics in time. Remember... To head to zbiotics.com slash x-ray and use code x-ray at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode. X-ray vision is brought to you by Doomlings. Bomb, bomb, bomb. The world is ending. And if you think this is some sort of game, well, good, because it is. Doomlings is a delightful card game for the end of the world somewhere. On a doomed and distant planet, life has emerged, competing for dominance until the world's inevitable destruction. Score points by playing traits for your doomling species, making them more adaptable, resilient, and mischievous. Evolve your doomlings throughout the ages and catastrophes, which are special rounds that befall the planet, forcing you to adapt your strategy until the end of the world. Doomlings is a card game for two to six players, ages 10 plus. Takes about 20 to 45 minutes to play. It is perfect for dinner parties, perfect for family game night, or just when you want to take a break from prepping your underground doomsday bunker. 
Doomlings sets itself apart from other card games of this kind of type because it's like a hybrid game for tabletop enthusiasts and non-gamers alike. It's accessible. There's a lot of depth, a lot of replayability, a lot of variance in the gameplay. Um, this is because it's a randomized setup and also because there are 167 unique cards in the box, no duplicates, no fillers. It feels kind of like a trading card game like other trading card games that you might be uh, experienced with but you don't need to go through the kind of arduous process of building a deck it can be played fast doomlings was funded on kickstarter in 49 minutes and catapulted into one of the fastest growing games on the planet today doomlings has over 2500 five-star reviews and it's received the dice tower seal of approval it's also been played in over 80 countries plus the greatest country of them all the united states of america Get 20% off your first order when you use code X-Ray at Doomlings.com. That's D-O-O-M-L-I-N-G-S.com and use code X-Ray. That's D-O-O-M-L-I-N-G-S.com, code X-Ray. We're stepping out of the airlock, folks. And into a fantasy world created by George Lucas from the mind of George Lucas. We're talking about the show Willow, the adaptation of the 1988 film Willow, a sequel to that movie on Disney Plus. There are now three episodes out. Uh, and this is a this is a movie and a show that I think has a has a very special place in one Rosie Knight's heart. And mine as well. I loved this movie as a kid. I watched yeah. this movie a lot as a kid. It must have been something to do with its availability on VHS or something because the movie did not take the box office by storm. It had a good opening weekend, but it, it, it did pretty well. It, it did didn't okay. have the yeah. it didn't have the Star Wars effect, the Indiana Jones effect, you know, which is why it's taken 30 years to 34 years to get a sequel. You know, so but there was something about it when we were kids it was just so prevalent. They probably overprinted the VHS. They needed to make back the money in home video. But for me, this was one of my most watched films. I mean, this was definitely one of my entry points into horror and enjoying horror because it's really scary. It is, there's some scary. The creature work is, yeah. quite, is quite scary. They have these, these creatures called the death dogs that kind of, they're the... They're used by qu the evil Queen Bav Morda to hunt down people that she wants to find, including the baby known as Alora Dannon, who is the main kind of chosen one protagonist of the film, even though she's a baby. Uh, and the Death Dogs were just Rottweilers that they put these prosthetic yeah, creature heads <laughs> It's onto. like you watch and you're like, wow, they look really, those dogs are it's really, it's really dog-like. Dog and, and, and then they just would put this huge kind of almost pig-like wolf prosthetic. And the opening of the movie is these dogs and they're hunting down a woman who's got the baby. And it is so scary. And I remember just really... Loving that mixture of this scary horror fantasy with this incredibly cozy woodland world where it Willow... It is a very cozy world. Yeah, played well, by Warwick you know, it Davis. Was so that movie came out in 1988. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about it is that sci-fi was ruled the roost at that time. Obviously, mm -hmm. Star Wars and the various knockoffs from Star Wars, the Star Trek movie series, which had gotten back into business, alien, aliens, Terminator, yeah. Terminator 2. They, uh, it, 
And it was a very, very fallow time for fantasy at the box office. Now, Mm -hmm. this is not to say that there weren't many things that were released that absolutely resonated with folks. Dark Crystal. And even those, they were like Dark Crystal. That was not a big blockbuster hit. Yeah. It was it it became a, a cult hit. Princess Bride, also another movie that became a cult hit. Fantasy was there, but it was not. It had not had that huge resurgence in the way that sci-fi had. And so it was really kind of a risk. You know, it, George Lucas cashed in a lot of his chips mm-hmm. in order to get this movie made. This was not a movie uh, that. Uh, 20th Century Fox or anybody really, really wanted to make. He swung a lot of uh, deals around the margins with licensing, with marketing, you know, all the lessons that he had learned uh, in monetizing Star Wars he brought to bear here in order to get this movie done. And then he was also going through a divorce at the time, uh, which he poured a lot of that kind of like feeling into this movie. This is a very, this is a, this is a movie about the female characters in the movie. Yeah. You know, like it, the, it's very forward thinking in that way. Like I was speaking, I've done quite a lot of coverage about Willow um, for Den of Geek, for their magazine and for the the website, um, the new series. And it's kind of funny because the new series, ha- which we'll get to, has a lot of like strong female characters and it's very diverse. But the original movie is like the main villain is an evil queen. One of the yeah. heroes ends up being her daughter, who's a total badass warrior in a way that you really hadn't seen at this point. She's not a Red Sonja-esque warrior. I love Red Sonja, but she's not wearing a bikini. She's not, you know, in service of a man. She is like a hardcore badass. And then you have, you know, Willow has a family. He has his wife, Kaya. He has his daughter, Mims, who is plays who plays a role in, in the new show too. There is a lot of time spent here as well as Alora Dannon who is the the chosen one who is a woman again moving away from that Luke Skywalker kind of trope of the the male chosen one it it has a lot of really interesting unexpected character choices and I will say you know this is a movie George Lucas had wanted to tell for a long time a story he'd wanted to tell for a long time and it was when he cast uh, Warwick Davis who was only 11 when he was cast in Return of the Jedi, oh, I found out insane. recently, which is just unbelievable. And and then George realized this could be a vehicle for, for Warwick and kind of this star vehicle. So this is also a movie where your heroic lead is a little person and also like now probably one of the most well-known little person actors in the world, Warwick Davis, just a total legend. But back then he wasn't. And I think that that's something we still don't really see. I can't think of another movie that's a heroic that has a heroic role with a little person or even a, you know, a, a disabled person in a, in a lead role that was a major blockbuster movie. And I just, I love this movie so much. It's this great mixture between like coziness and horror and fantasy. And then you have the thing we haven't talked about, which is, you know, this just absolutely ridiculous out there, unforgettable performance by Val Kilmer as Mad Martigan. And that becomes the kind of central part. I was watching the movie for this show and and I Same. was thinking, oh my God, like how much Mad Martigan Willow fanfic is there? Because they're basically like, they pair them as like a husband and wife on this D&D style adventure. It's very interesting because, you know, uh, a lot of the criticism of this movie was, oh, okay, Mad Martigan is just Han Solo, like this kind of rogue character warmed over this charming. Mad Martigan's a fucking asshole. He sucks. Like, 
This is a truly complex character. Like, this is not some easy... He is like a roguish... It's far more realistic than the Han Solo version because this is like... He sucks. He is an anti-hero in the true sense of the word, which is part of why I think the movie is... You know, the, the uh, positioning of the characters is really courageous from Lucas because, again, like the the, the female heroes um, are really the center of this story. And while Mad Mardigan has some great action scenes mm-hmm. and his, uh, you know, relationship with with Willow uh, is part of like the emotional engine of the story. It's a lot of their interactions are like Mad Mardigan just like calling willow a peck yeah and he's always and he's always trying jerk to, towards him and he's always trying to like betray him i think in that yeah. way this this feels to me a lot more like the fantasy books that we've read and the kind of fantasy stories that we yes. get now which is this D party where you can have characters who are not trustworthy there's always one person who's trying to betray you who wants to get the treasure who's doing it for their own way and obviously mad martigan's journey across this movie is to realize oh there's something bigger at stake here and it's this baby whether or not you believe she's a prophesized empress she's just a little baby who needs help and i'm here yeah. with my boyfriend willow and we're gonna look after her you know and then you have this Saoirse played by Joanne Wally who's also in in the new series she just has no time for Mad Martigan shit and it's such a joy to see this like enemies to lovers like annoying she's like this guy is so annoying but there's just something there and they both kind of come together over this great battle and one of the most interesting things about Willow that I love that comes into play heavily in the show is the end of Willow Willow's journey is he is um he's a Nelwyn, which is what they call the the community of people that he lives in, and he wants to be a sorcerer. And his dream is to be a sorcerer and to be an apprentice and to become a high sorcerer of his community, right? But he really just does like funny magic tricks when he's at yeah. home. He doesn't really know how to do magic. And the end of the movie, he does a magic trick and he tricks Bav Morda into thinking he's made a Laura Dan and disappear, and then Bav Morda gets struck by lightning. So Willow doesn't actually do any magic. He's not a great sorcerer. He kind of does it off his own wits and his own wiles. It's very Star Wars-y. It's very fun. But then 34 years later, when you have this show, which is probably set around 20 years afterwards, everyone in the whole kingdom of Terrasleen thinks Willow is this genius magic sorcerer. And the show is kind of getting towards now this idea of like, well, we know what really happened in the movie. So how do you deal with that? when you're now positioning him back into this magic. And it's by, again, surrounding... There's a great moment in the trailer that was kind of when I realized the show was really going to get me, which is like, someone says to Willow, like, how are you going to beat me? And he's like, like I did last time with my friends. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Like, it's just some ragtag group of, like, people who are kind of outcasts, kind of losers, like the, the the party of bandits who everyone is ignored the sorcerer no one cares about the female warrior no one takes seriously the rogue who's betrayed so many people that they just left him in a skeleton you know cage to kind of rot away oh actually if we come together we can do something and i i just think that's so much fun and it's again it kind of leans into those like you mentioned uh you know dark crystal legend all those movies where at the time they didn't necessarily make a huge waves but now you watch them and you're like these movies are so long and so complex and so strange and that's really what fantasy should be and I think that's why Willow has always kind of stood the test of time for me 
And John Kasdan, who who is the showrunner of of the new Willow series, and who's you know whose dad is Lawrence Kasdan, his brother's yeah, Jake Kasdan. So they're like the, Lucasfilm, the Kasdan, yeah, film the Kasdan. royalty. Yeah. Um, but he was like us. He was just somebody who watched it so many times as a kid, and he just loved it. And when he was a little kid, you know, he was like, "Wait, I don't understand. Why isn't there a sequel?" Because we don't understand the notion of box offices and stuff, you know. And I felt the same way as a kid. I I rewatched my VHS so many times, and I sort of couldn't believe that there wasn't another film. As we were saying, I think that the lesson that the industry took from Willow, which was a modest, it was a modest success, but certainly mm-hmm. not what people had associated with the name George Lucas. Um, I, I think the lesson that the industry took was that fantasy is is not not viable is not where the market is now sci-fi is where the market is now an increasing uh, trend towards comic book material is where the market is now Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be until the appearance of lord of the rings to really show that fantasy can still sell tickets uh at, at the box office because you know we we had it had come all the way back around in terms of sci-fi with the matrix which is basically like Star Wars of the Internet era, mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, et cetera. You know, there, there, there was just not – you never – the 80s was a rich time for fantasy content, certainly not successful uh, in the eyes of the industry, but the movies were good. And they became huge hits. Yeah, but after Willow, it, it was – that was kind of it mm-hmm. for the next 10 years. Okay, let's get into the show. Willow episodes uh, one, two, three is what we're going to cover. Here's what uh, we'll just do a quick catch up on the first two episodes before we get to to, uh, episode three. Uh, Episode one, The Gales, written by Jonathan Cast and directed by Stephen Wolfenden. This introduces us uh, to our our new cast of characters in the Willow series. They include Princess Kit. who is uh, the da- the daughter of Queen Sorsha, who is uh, uh, in turns herself the daughter of the evil uh, Bav Morda from the Willow movie and now ruling uh, Tiris Lean. Uh, her best friend is a warrior named Jade. They train together all the time and clearly there are, uh, there are real feelings between those two. Yes. A real and Jade is played by Erin Kellyman, who we're a huge fan of on the show here. Emphas Nest from the end of Solo, one of the best but shortest character introductions. Then, you know, played a part in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But again, it was kind of a, a cut short role. This role really gives her a lot of meat and she gets to kind of be the shining knight uh, in this medieval inspired kind of story. And they're gonna... Kit is the very much like, I'm not like other girls. Princess. Yes. Her dad is Mad Martigan. Her mother is Sorsha. Mad Martigan, where is he? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. He went off on a thing and he never came back. So she's very much in that space, but she's going to have to get married off to a prince called Graydon, who's played by Tony Revlori, Flash Thompson from Spider-Man. And you can... Get the feeling he's very a, quickly. He's a nice enough guy, but he's but very... neither one of the and 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 they both recognize that politically it's important to to mm-hmm. to go through this marriage. But neither of them are particularly passionate about it. Yeah, they, they very, don't know each other. They're they just strangers each to each other. Yeah, and um, there is a party to celebrate this impending marriage. It kind of all goes awry when 
Kit's twin brother, Prince Eric, who is named after Eric, who is Mad Martigan's friend who died heroically in the original movie. R.I.P. the original Eric. A sassy hero. He was wonderful. And And Eric... Yeah, Eric yeah. has a lot of the Mad Mar- It's like the the roguishness of Mad Mardigan without the kind of swordsmanship. He's never had to go out on an adventure. Yeah. But he is he's living his life. He's he's promiscuously making his way through the castle staff. He's <laughs> he's a lover boy. Also, Dempsey Brick, who plays him, looks a lot like young Val really Kilmer. Does. So this casting is like really wild. Uh lo and behold. If you're just wearing a floaty shirt and like sleeping with lots of girls, apparently in this world, that means you're going to get kidnapped by these nightmarish creatures, uh, the gales. And that happens. He gets swept up by a giant scary bird. And uh, Kit is like, well, not having that. I'm, I'm off to save my brother. And surprisingly, her mother, who was just recently, you know, desperate to get her into this arranged marriage, is like, actually, that's a great idea. Yeah, go do it. Go do it. You now- go. Go with Kate. Go with Jade, your best bud. Now, an interesting wrinkle here is that Eric has been messing around with a, a particular member of the household staff, a, a wonderful cook named Dove. And we discover at the end of episode one, when uh, our group encounters Willow, Willow Ufgood, uh, of the movie fame, he touches Dove's arm. Dove was not meant to be with this group. She kind of snuck away because mm-hmm. she wants to, you know, she um, has really fallen for Eric, even though she's unsure of the way he feels about her. She just wants to find him. And uh, Willow, sensing something about Dove, places his hand on her arm, revealing a sign. And guess what, folks? The long-lost Empress... Laura Dannon, the true empress, is this kitchen maid dove. Bom 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 bom. So this is a this is actually terrible news. As much as everyone's been waiting for her to survive, because basically Saoirse Mad Martigan, the whole of Terrace Lean, has essentially kept Laura Dannon secret. They hid her away. They pretended that they didn't know who she was, and they raised her in these kitchens as a kitchen girl, so that she would not be in any danger and evil would not be able to find her. But now, lo and behold, she's off on an adventure trying to go to the end of the earth to find her boyfriend. And she's very committed and she's going to do it. And the team is rounded out by a really just unbelievably great addition who Queen Saoirse forces on the group. And his name is Borman. And he's played by uh, Amar Chad. Chadha Patel, and he is so good, and he's definitely channeling your biggest Mad Martigan energy. Yeah, he is like the he is the martial Mad Martigan yeah. brought to life here. The, the, exactly. the warrior with the quips, who uh, you know is an adventurer and is definitely not the do everything by the book guy. No, and they do something I really think is so great. This definitely is in that space of of what Jasmine Savoy Brown's character in Scream Five coined as the requel. This is, it's the sequel that's also the reboot that introduces new characters, but you have to have the old characters. And this show does something really lovely, which is it spends a lot of time connecting those threads. And Borman is not just, oh, we're going to make this guy pretend to be Mad Martigan. No, he channels the spirit of Mad Martigan. And as we get into the show, you learn why, because he was friends with him. 
And that's actually how Sorsha guilts him into going on this trip with this group of kids, this kind of YA adventure party, because she's like, don't forget about your old friend. And yeah, and that first episode ends, boom, Alora Dannon is there. Willow's stoked to see her, but also like, the whole now when people all live underground now because of how bad things have got. So it's not looking very hopeful. But Kit's not going to let her brother be kidnapped. She's she's ready for the fight. In episode two, uh, we get some extra wrinkles here. Uh, uh, Elora is trying to learn some magic with the help of Willow. Willow is being very cagey about his own magic abilities at this particular time. Yes. Um, and uh, more on that in episode three. Uh, and then Alora gets kidnapped by uh, one of the commanders of the Tirislene Guard, uh, Commander Ballantyne, who it turns out has been possessed Yes. We guess by by these gales who attacked the castle. They touched him or were able in some way to bring him under their, uh, under their influence. And almost with this yeah, evil. Yeah, and he kidnaps Alora and goes away. So now we're on a double search. We're looking for Eric, but we also got to get the true empress, Alora Dannon, back. Yeah, and that leads us to episode three, which the funnest thing about this is, this is a show that I feel really deeply understands kind of where fantasy is in 2022 and what people want to see because episode three essentially is a side quest which yeah. is like everybody's favorite thing to do in any kind of fantasy rpg or like a tabletop game so i love that they were like side quest episode <laughs> it's like a really it's a really fun little trope and this is where you really start digging in so we're going to do the the real recap for this one so we open on a flashback 10,000 years ago. This is a story that is being recounted by Borman to Princess Kit. And he is telling the story of uh, uh, Thule, who was the scion of uh, the king of Chimeria. But he, it's, it, he was seen as weak by his brother Tiberius. And so Tiberius decided, you know what? I think I should be a king instead, and therefore I'm going to lay siege to the capital of Chimeria. Annabelle, the mother of both of these young men, to protect her son Thule, forges a set of magical armor that locks with a special key called the Lux Arcana that will only allow those worthy of the defensive power of this armor to wear it. Thule then goes to ride out alone, wearing the armor to face his brother and his brother's army of, of death dealers. But before Borman can tell the rest of the story, Kid is like, I'm fucking bored, man. What She's is like, the point this of is this? boring. Yeah, and this what is, is the point of this story? Get She's to like, the please just get to the part about my dad. Yeah, yeah, you knew my dad, so what is up with that? Where you And... and uh, Borman then says, uh, and this is what you were talking about, which is this understanding of where fantasy is in 2022. Borman then says a, a, a line that is a wonderful wink to the audience. Your generation has zero attention span for epic tales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun. That that line, I'm so glad you picked it out because that really sums up to me how this is, if there's one thing that this is most influenced by tonally, I would say it's the Princess Bride because yes, the thing we didn't really so. get into so far is the show is very fantastical. It's really beautifully shot. It was all shot on location in Wales. So it's it's really colorful and doesn't really look like anything else. But it's also just 
very funny and like intentionally funny and consistently meta and winking, but also just like classically silly. There's a breeziness to it that is, you know, when you think fantasy, right, you think English accents, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of like Shakespearean kind of approach. That is not the case with this. Ellie Bamper, who plays Alora Dannon, is a a British accent using an American accent. (laughs) Uh, You know, like it's very much the opposite of what you would expect. Like there's not the kind of fussiness of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of a fan of a of the normal kind of fantasy it's approach. It's almost like it's almost like and this is from coming from me as a big like compliment, but it's almost like casual fantasy. Like yeah. I feel like it's like when you watch something like Game of Thrones, you gotta watch that first season and you have to learn every single family and political group and the way that they're connected and the hundreds of years of history that shaped them, which we love. That's literally we what love we love to well. talk about. But this is one of those shows where I feel like Anyone could just put it on and kind of vaguely recognize the archetypes, but not feel like there's too much. And that partially comes from the fact that Willow is one movie that came out 34 years ago. Going, you know, touching on one of mine and Jason's favorite topics, a.k.a. the X-Men, there are three Willow novels written by none other than Chris Claremont that expand the lore of the story. But even then, you're talking about three books, the third one, which is incredibly hard to find that most people haven't read, and one movie. So there is not a lot of law. You can have that breeziness, that kind of fun of expanding the idea of what the show is while kind of using it as a vessel to sort of nod to the things that we really like and enjoy about fantasy. I, I really appreciate that about it. It's a very, very easy and fun watch. Okay, so uh, basically Borman is like, okay, here's the deal. You, uh, your dad, Mad Morgan, and I... We're trying to find this armor at one point in time in order to defend Tirasline from this the evil crone that we are currently sort of in a mission against, you know, right now, even though uh, our, our real mission is find Laura Dannon and find Eric. Commander Ballantine of Tirasline, uh, he has uh, Alora prisoner. He has been possessed by the Gales. Um, Jade finds him. Just as he's getting on his horse with with Alora, and he's like, "Listen, I'm." Uh, he tries to kind of play it off, you know. He's like, "I'm well. I'm working for the queen. I'm working for Queen Sorsha, uh, you know, Alora's mom. And it was my job to take Alora back home, and that's what I'm doing." And then Willow shows up and uh, says, "Well, yeah, that may be the case, but Alora should only." go home if she wants to go home. And and she's unconscious over the back of your horse right now. It doesn't look like she's doing anything that she actually wants to do. It should be her decision. So the whole party shows up. uh, You know, Willow's friend Silas, his compatriot Silas, uh, Prince Graydon, Borman, Kit, and they take out their swords and we get a big fight. Uh, But Ballantyne and his men get away with Alora in this kind of in the, in the confusion after Willow attempts to do some sort of like magic spell all he does is really kind of cause a lot of smoke to be to be thrown up. And by the time the smoke clears, Alora and Commander Ballantyne are gone. Willow then tells them that Ballantyne's men have been overtaken by evil magic. And this is the work of the Gales. All of a sudden, we hear the voice of the crone speaking through these storm clouds on the horizon. And the crone, we learn, does not want to kill Alora because... Laura can't really be killed. Like her energy is indestructible. You kill yeah, her. Yeah, now she's not. You could have killed a baby, but now you can't really kill. Like yeah, you can't do anything now. Like if you kill Laura her, Dannon. she you, you might banish her from the from the world for a while, but she'll just be reborn again. Mm-hmm. What you need to do, and what the crone wants to do, is 
as an adult, take her prisoner and therefore remove her light energy from the world. And that's how you could rule this land. Um, this is exactly what Bav Morda was trying to do in the in the original movie. Um, elsewhere, Alora manages to get free of Commander Ballantyne. She runs into the woods. And uh, while this is happening, our hero's wagon is broken down and we get a nice nod to the kind of Lucasfilm uh, <laughs> a, a DNA of this. When So the wagon wheel is like falling off the wagon and they're trying to figure out how to fix it. And Borman is like, well, hold on. You're a sorcerer. Can't you just like lift it lift with it magic? <laughs> and Willow is like, no, uh, we can't do that. Although there's going to be other reasons why he can't use his magic right now that yeah. we'll tell you in a second. Uh, in the forest, while Willow and Borman and Silas are trying to figure out like what's up with the wagon wheel, Kit and Jade are having a much-needed conversation. They haven't really had a moment alone since they've started this adventure. And the last kind of real interaction between them was when you know, Kit was being introduced to her future husband, Prince Graydon, and Jade was feeling not great about it. And Kit was also feeling really shitty about it. And they basically had an argument. Yeah. And Jade so now, wanted Jade was going to become the first woman to have been able to train as a knight. But it would have meant leaving, leaving Kit. And Kit was feeling very, Kit was very spoiled about it and caused a big drama. And it was... A huge moment, and now they're having a conversation because Ballantyne, who is the evil, now evilly possessed man who stole really uh, Jade's uh, mentor. Laura Dannon. He's Jade's mentor. He raised yeah. her. Jade was raised as an orphan in the palace, and it has been most of her life. Ballantyne has been that father figure and has trained her how to fight. So and Kit now they're in a position where yeah. he's going to need to die. So Kid is saying to Jade exactly that. Listen. If we face Ballantyne again, you got to be ready to kill him without hesitation. And Jade is like, I wasn't hesitating. I was focused on trying to save your life. And Kit is like, I'm a good, I'm actually a good fighter, (laughs) which you don't think. I can hold my own and I don't need saving. And Jade uh, then tells Kit uh, a really big reveal that, you know, basically saying, well, you're a good fighter. Because I've been helping you be a good fighter. And by the way, your mom ordered me to basically be your friend in order to train you to become a good fighter. And Kit is shaken at this. And, uh, you know, Jade tries to soften it by saying, yeah, but then, you know, I I developed feelings for you since like it became a real friendship and and obviously something more. But Kit doesn't want to hear this. In the woods, Alora. Uh, you know, goes through these kind of dark and shadowy woods to this sunny clearing and she finds this this cabin and two woodswomen living there, Hubert and Anne. Uh, Alora is panicked. You know, she doesn't know if Ballantyne and the rest are right on her heels. And she's telling these women like these bad men are coming. They're wicked men. They want to take me prisoner. They may kill you and whatever. And Hubert and Anne are just like, hey, do you want to eat some roasted mushrooms? Don't worry about it. They're We're like, fine. it's fine. Don't worry. We it's got fine. you. It's Don't all good. Don't worry about it. Elsewhere, uh, our heroes with the wagon are struggling. They're lost in the storm. They decide, okay, we're going to cover more ground if we split up. Kit specifically orders the teams uh, so that she and Jade will be searching separately. Back to the woods, Laura tells the woods women that 
uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned a Laura Dannon, ladies, because I am a Laura Dannon. I know it's weird. By the, I way. Just fa- uh, by the way, I just found it out. I'm still processing that myself. It's kind of a honestly, it's kind of like been a huge mind fuck. But yeah, <laughs> it's true. I am a Laura Dannon. They're like, oh, uh, let us see the mark then. So show us the mark on the arm if you're really learning. She raises her sleeve, shows them the mark, and now all of a sudden these women are like, holy shit, you're the true empress. This is what they've been waiting for. We've been waiting for this. There's legends about this. There's legends about what will happen. And they realize, oh, that means you really are in danger. And if you're the true empress, that means that we should join you in whatever adventure, yeah, whatever, whatever mission. Whatever it is, you've got us on side. We have your back. We Let's get out of here before uh, these men show up. Let's get you somewhere safe. Alora says, no, 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 we, we can't go somewhere safe and just hold up. I have to rescue my boyfriend, Eric, from the crone. Uh, they're like, okay, fine, we're going to help you. Before they can do anything, Commander Valentine shows up immediately. And I mean, like, almost immediately he kills Hubert. Yeah, and it's such a shame, too, because Hubert just goes full badass. Hubert pulls out an axe. Hubert hits Ballantyne with it. And everyone's like, oh, my God, Hubert, you're so cool. Like, I can't believe you did that. And then Ballantyne, lo and behold, he's basically a zombie because he's been possessed by the evil of the liches and the gales. So then he just kills Hubert. R.I.P. Hubert. Hubert Hubert played by the great Hannah Waddingham yes, of Ted Lasso so fame, of Game of Thrones fame. Uh, and and you see her and you're thinking, oh, she's going to be around for a little while. No, nope, yeah. not even an episode. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. to Hubert. Um, uh, quickly, both women are cut down uh, and goes down uh, in quick, quick order right after that. And the commander promises Alora that more will die unless you come with us. You have to come with us or your friends will continue to get cut down. Kit and Borman continue their conversation about Mad Mardigan. You know, why did why did Borman return from their adventures and Mad Mardigan didn't? Where is my dad? What happened? Uh, Borman kind of insinuates that something there was some kind of fight that was deadly because he says, I got lucky, basically saying, you know, your dad didn't get so lucky. Um they're looking at this kind of like storm surging all around them and they start thinking, you know, we're in the middle of this dark energy, this dark storm. Maybe what we need is some light. Maybe what we need is that magical armor that I was telling you about at the top of this episode. Meanwhile, back <laughs> at the wagon, Graydon tells Jade, uh, hey, have you noticed like I, I noticed that Willow's magic isn't like he didn't want to. He didn't want to lift the wagon. And then when he used a spell when Ballantine showed up, it really was not – it didn't work really. I'm worried that Willow's magic is – I'm really worried that Willow's magic is fading. Is that the case? And it turns out it is. We then see Willow have a conversation with his friend Silas where he's basically saying, hey, I don't have much magic left. I, I need to save every drop of energy, magical energy that I have left in order to beat the crone when we face her in order to save Alora Dannon. I can't I can't waste all this. Um, suddenly we have an answer on why Willow, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. who has been bragging about what a great sorcerer he is ever since he's yeah. arrived in this story. He's been talking about it a lot. He has to. That's the that's the game that he has to play. And the other interesting thing is he he is very wary of the future he has these visions and he is seeing something 
that he feels like he can't stop, but he wants to. So he's saving his magic. And that is, like you said, why he's, you know, just lift the car. I know it can't take that much magic. <laughs> just a little and bit. like, as you said, he has, Willow, as he's talking to his friend, has a flash of a vision and he realizes that he knows where they need to go. We go to Borman and Kit. They come to a graveyard. Uh, this, Borman says, is is probably where the armor is somewhere in this the tunnels of this necropolis. And they decide to go down in there. Alora, meanwhile, uh, being held by Captain Ballantyne, decides enough is enough. I'm I'm a I've just learned that I am the true empress. That means that I have magical power, and and in fact. I have almost infinite magical power if I can just get in touch with it. Willow mm-hmm. is trying to teach me an incantation. Uh, maybe it'll work. Uh, she uses a little bit of her magic to get one of Ballantine's goons away from her. And then she starts the incantation that Willow taught her that is, uh, we imagine, supposed to call some sort of like magical protectors to 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 fight for her. Nothing happens. Uh, but then her friends, Graydon, Jade, Willow, and Silas actually so do So maybe arrive. it did work. Maybe it did maybe work. It did uh, Jade begs Ballantine if he's in there, her mentor, to let her help him, help him get free. And he's like, no, they lower their uh, the, their helms and they get in another big fight, another big sword fight. All the while down in the graveyard, uh, Kit and Borman are getting chased by were rats. Yeah, they're just gross. like, they are on the side quest and it is not going well. Kit is it's not a really, fan. It's really, not going well. There is no hint of this magical armor and Borman in fact they like might get eaten doing by rats. very <laughs> shady stuff. Like he keeps going off by himself and, yes. and Kit's kind of left not really understanding what's going on. And then of course there are the were rats. Yes. Back at the fight, Alora's like, Willow, we need your sorcery. You've been talking a big game. Please just do some magic, my guy. Where is the fucking magic? Let's go. He is like making an excuse that, you know, the sense we get is, man, that Willow's gas tank must be on empty. But then he uses a spell anyway, and it is quite impressive. Uh, Ballantine's men are like torn apart by this. Ballantine himself is like bathed in this very destructive energy, and he falls to the ground. Um, We see you know, in the wake of this, that Silas has been wounded in the fighting and then he dies heartbreakingly in Willow's arms. And Ballantyne, now mortally wounded, like he's done, but Mm -hmm. he's back to himself now. And he talks to Jade. He's telling her, listen, you have to protect Alora. Now that she's back, she has to be protected. Here's what's up with the crone. The crone is terrified of Alora. You have to take Alora to the Immorial City and th- that if you do that and protect her, you can defeat the crone and that's it. And then Tirasleen will be safe forever. And now that I've told you everything that I know, I need you to kill me because I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And Jade, with tears in her eyes, finishes him off. There's a storm. They're in this place called the, the Pitiless Path, which is now flooding because they're in the middle of this, like, terrible rainstorm. They see a set of steps going up the hill, and Borman's like, I don't know where we're going, but I see a set of steps that gets us out of this floodplain, so I'm going up there. And they end up, like, on this mesa on the top of this mountain with this very, 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 very scary city in the in the distance. And they're all like, where the fuck are we? We have no idea where this is. But Willow knows because he was there in Willow the movie. He was. Nakmar. Nakmar. Dun, dun, dun. The birthplace of Elora Donnan. You're absolutely right. This is like a, it's almost like a YA take on fantasy. It's super, super fun. 
Yeah, it's really fun. It's like, I love the, I think that the thing that makes it stand out to me, I, I love anything YA really. Like I read a lot of YA books. I love stories where they tell them through the lens of young characters. I think it's a really interesting way to reinvigorate a franchise or to tell a new story. I, I loved, you know, Force Awakens. I love The Lost Jedi. But what I think is really cool here is that fun mixture between the new characters, but still this is a Willow show. So you have Willow there and the way that they kind of tie them together in this this D&D-esque adventure party. It just feels really like different and very fun. And it's, it's, I really, I I think that you were spot on when I, when I spoke to John Kasdan um, about making the show, he was sort of making jokes about how nobody really knows about Willow. You know, it's not a high kind of profile property. And I think that in the way that you mentioned, that probably gave them a lot of free reign under the Disney banner. And, you know, in, in my interview with him for Den of Geek, he said, like, this wouldn't have happened without Disney+. Plus. They needed IP, they needed content. So he got to take this swing and make something that does feel really different. And it kind of, it's a great holiday show, but it does make me laugh because I'm just like, you just dropped this casually on November 30th and it's just so different to anything else that Disney+, Plus or any other streamer is really doing. It's, it's very fun and I'm really excited to kind of continue the journey with these characters, especially Jade and Kit, because we're really getting to see this friendship growing into something more between them. And you're getting the fun of like Alora and Graydon and you get to see all these different little relationships that are building. And something I think is really special is, you know, um, it doesn't seem like Val Kilmer is going to be able to be in this season. He's had uh, a yeah, lot of health issues. Unless they do something else. Yeah. Yeah. And cast or something. Exactly. Or, or have, you know, but what I think is really interesting is they are very keen to keep the character instead of just being like Mad Martigan died. Yeah. Most of the legacy characters here are deeply connected to Mad Martigan. Jade has a Mad Martigan-esqueness about her because Jade is a knight who wants to fight and wants to be there and will do anything. And and Jade kind of has this mysterious past, just like Mad Martigan. Then you have Borman, who's obviously your standard Mad Martigan. Then you have Kit, who is also connected to Mad Martigan and who much of her journey here is really driven by wanting to find out what happened to her dad. So it's really interesting that even though the character might not be appearing in the show, you still, there's no easy writing that out. They've just decided to embrace that character and kind of the the legacy of, of Val's performance and build it in in different ways, which I think is really inventive and very comic booky. I have a theory. The the crone is a man and it's Mad Martigan. <gasps> and he's trying to get his kids back. He oh. just wants to spend time. That's why he wants that's why he kidnapped Eric. He would love to kidnap Alora Dannon and because he's Kit stuck as well. yeah. in the immemorial city. So he can't wow, that's terrifying and I love it. That would be so good. <laughs> that would be so good. Yeah, and I think that's another fun thing is that we didn't even really touch on is the um we haven't seen the crone yet, but the character designs so far for the scary monsters are like legitimately scary. One of them looks like a They're Hellraiser really, beast. really terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And then you have, you know, the flying monsters, the gales. It's it's very cool to see that high fantasy done in a way where you get both the darkness and the scariness of the monsters. But something that kind of blew me away when I was watching this is I really love the visual landscape, the creator of the world. It's very colorful. It's very saturated and and the colors are bright and the world feels very textured, but they're not trying to make it 
look any different than the original Willow, which was like very woodsy and very nature based. And I just, yeah, it's really fun. I, I, and I hope a lot of people, I know in our Discord, um, there's definitely a few people who've checked out the original movie because they really liked the first couple of episodes. And I what hope an interesting do that. movie too. I gotta say, like when you watch the original Willow, I don't know how many people will, but the one, the thing that struck me rewatching it recently was, man, uh, Ron Howard wants you to see that they are not on a set. Like no, the the scope of all the shot. There's very few close ups in this mm-hmm. in that movie. It's all these like long shots where you see the background and you see the characters riding on horseback across the hills and you see the walls of the castle and the yeah. background of like the shot and you see the characters head to toe in the sh- in the frame. A, re- a really interesting visual style from from Ron Howard, like w- really leaning into like the epic scale of it. Definitely. I think a lot about even the opening, I was watching it. So you have this really scary moment where you have the kitchen maid, definitely nice echo there of what happens with Dove, but the kitchen maid who saves the baby Elora Dannon when she's just about to be killed. So the prophecy can happen. And there's this huge chase through the woods and the death dogs are following her and it's really scary. And they kind of, but before they get to her, the opening sequence with the t- where the title comes, it's just her chilling on the side of a bank with the baby. And it just comes up next to it and just says, Willow. And it's like, it feels like you're reading one of those incredible pages in any fantasy novel, whether it's something like Stardust or it's something like Game of Thrones. It feels like the page where you're reading it and it's the description of the trickling water and the the leaves and the the wind blowing through the branches like willow really gets into that epic space that fantasy can give you and i think that that's a fun thing about doing a tv show of it is like you can have time to do your side quest the movie does have that like there's some funny stuff where they go to they go to a brothel to try and find somebody to take the baby and that becomes its own kind of comedic yes. side quest but here yeah. you get to do a whole side quest episode and you have the fantasy side quest, you have the personal side quest. So it's really nice. I um this to me, I, I reviewed it for IGN. I gave a very, very glowing review, no surprises, because I thought it was great. But one of the things I pointed out is like, this to me feels like if you're gonna have a platform like Disney Plus, this is what you should be doing, like taking weird underseen movies and giving them space to kind of expand the law and expand the world and introduce new characters and and kind of reimagine the these kind of tropes and and fictional spaces. So yeah, I think it's I think it's really fun and very cozy, especially if you like fantasy already and you want to see a kind of adventure party story or a story where you can have recognizable tropes and plot lines and little ideas. It's very cozy and comforting in that way even though it's, you know, predominantly new characters. I have I have one more wrinkle to my Mad Morgan is the Crone theory and it's that he put the curious on he put the magical set of armor on but like as as Borman was telling us the Lux Arcana <gasps> the key that unlocks the suit of armor it it can tell if you're worthy of what much like Thor's hammer right mm-hmm. it can tell if you're worthy of wearing it so what happens if you're not worthy of wearing it and you put it on Do you I get think trapped he's just in trapped it? in it I yeah. think he's trapped in it I love that that would be so great I'd love to see where that could go and kind of I feel like this episode especially leans into this idea of Kit is looking for Eric but now she's realizing wait a minute I'm out of the castle for the first time I could be looking for my dad 
And I think this idea of where is Mad Martigan and what happened to him, that's probably going to play a, a key part going into the next five episodes. And by the way, it helps us get around, you know, Val Kilmer not being able to be in the film. It's just a suit of armor, folks. Yeah. That's him. And if you want, you can do the voiceover. And I believe now um, it's it's Val's son who does all of his voiceover work oh, for him. Yeah, I, I believe that that was something that had come out of a documentary recently. So I think that that's already established that he could, if we wanted to have some voiceovers for Kit rather than necessarily a visual. And Val did a very supportive... Um, he did a very supportive Instagram post recently oh, about wonderful. the show. Yeah, he, you know, he met his eventually wife Joanne Wally Kilmer on uh, Willow. So I, I'm sure it's a movie that is very special to him. They had, to, and they had, you know, his son is his son with Joelle Wally Kilmer. So I'm sure that that is this is a project I'm sure that is special to him. And we can't wait to uh, continue following it uh, over the course of the season. Big thank you to Rosie Knight for joining us on X-Ray Vision. Rosie, what do you have to plug? You mentioned all your uh, writings on Willow at various yes. other places. What else are you doing? Lots uh, of... Can you reveal anything of your secret project <sighs> yet? <laughs> Not yet, but, but soon, hopefully soon, because I did, <laughs> I did just finish the first draft of said secret project. So fingers crossed. Ooh. It will be soon. Um well, yes, if you want to know more about Willow, feel free. I wrote uh, a bunch of different pieces. There's going to be a great Willow story in the new Den of Geek magazine. You can get that from your local comic book shop. I will be writing a really exciting cover story for Den of Geek uh, for the, in the new year too, which hasn't been announced yet. And same as always, IGN, Polygon. Uh, we just put out the best comics of 2022 at Polygon. Uh, I submitted a real some... A, something about a film that I really loved called Slashback for uh, a Nerdist piece that will be out soon about the best underseen movies and TV of the year. So yeah, lots of fun stuff and always here and Rosie Marks on Instagram and Letterboxd. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision on December 16th for the movie event of the decade, Avatar, Way of Water. That's right, folks. It's here. It's watery. Subscribe to the show on YouTube. Follow on at XRVPod on Twitter and check out the Discord to meet and hang out with tons of amazing fans and listeners. Plus, Rosie and I will be there. Five-star reviews. We got to have them. We love, we love them. them. We need them. We love to get them. Here's one from Anisha21. Helps fill the gaps. I love this podcast so much. Thank you so much, Anisha. Thank you. I love a lot of fandoms, but can't get into reading comics and high fantasy. They're just not for me. Listening to this podcast helps me fill in the gaps in my knowledge, form theories, and draw connections where I haven't seen them previously. Can't recommend it more. Thank you so much, Anisha. Yeah, thank you. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. Folks, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.